Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this installment of our Brandon Sanderson series. We hope you'll join us by clicking on the Reading Challenge link at our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, or to keep it simple, just send us your thoughts on the books on our website, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and welcome to The Legendarium. Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to The Legendarium! Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks. Today, episode 99, getting very, very close. Uh, today, Warbreaker. But before we get there, let's introduce our panel of weirdos. Uh, like I said, I am Craig Hanks. Now, uh, let's see. Across from me, he's pricklier than a cactus and half as comfortable to sit on. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> My dear, did you just try and prove the existence of God through your cleavage? <laughs> <laughs> And he's rarer than a Linux system in, a, in the Australian Outback. And it took me months to hunt him down. It's Todd Wenty. I'm sorry, the Australian Outback? Now, I don't think we were in Australia. I think we were everywhere. Um, is it? Do you guys say Linux or Linux? Linux. 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 Yeah, that's usually how I say it. I don't know why I said Linux. And he's wearing the same <laughs> shirt as Ryan, which is weird. It's Ken Johnson. <laughs> Only because we called each other the night before and set him out and shut up. You know, it's literally the same shirt. Ken and I are literally <laughs> just in one shirt. <laughs> it's, a little bit, be, it's a little bit awkward. That would be amazing. Um, all right, guys. Today, Warbreaker. We're trying to have a Legendarium Who Wore It Better contest. Also, today, 99th episode. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. That's crazy. Um, Who would have thought that we'd be able to make it 99 episodes in front of a microphone without killing one of some, someone here yet? <laughs> now, what no. we haven't told you is that this is also our last episode. No, I'm, I'm kidding. This is not our last episode. We are going to keep going. We'll keep going strong. <laughs> All of us were just looking at Yeah, I know. I was, like, I was like, sense the tone, <laughs> pay, God. Sense pay, the tone. <laughs> pay this one off. Let's see. No, it, yeah, we will keep going. Next week is episode 100. We, we, uh, I don't know what we're going to do exactly. We haven't hammered that out, but we'll basically be screwing around for for an hour which uh, is not all that different from what we which isn't yeah i'm just saying i don't know that the topic will be very uh tight and yeah. adhered to it'll be fun and games and frivolity that's what it'll be one thing that we will do is uh we do have a couple of audio clips that we'll play next week um from you our listeners there are a couple of people one is sam and the other's jamie um, that's how we know we could use the plural when you said fans <laughs> <laughs> exactly we have two uh, no, I, I mentioned that partly because I, you know, I want to get them excited. Yes, we will use their clips next week. But also, just to let you guys know, uh, anybody else who's listening, if you would like to be featured on our 100th episode, all you have to do is say some nice things about us into a microphone and then send me the clip and we'll probably use it. I know uh, that for many of you, it would be stretching to say nice things about us. After all, <laughs> it's stretching things to get Craig to say nice things about us. I love you, Todd. You Sense the tone. So Sense the tone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Is that, is that sarcasm? I, um, <laughs> a couple of other housekeeping items. Oh, the other thing that we'll do, sorry, for the 100th episode, I, I don't know if we'll pull it off. I'd like to, but I, I'd like to do a, uh, a live feed, a Facebook live feed. So if you are uh, a, f a fan of ours, but you're not with us on Facebook, get there, like us on Facebook, and then sometime next week we'll pop up with the uh, Facebook live feed. And I, I'll try to, when we get the time hammered uh, hammered down, I'll uh, let everybody know on Facebook what we're doing. Um, now, today we are continuing our Brandon Sanderson series. It is coming up on the end, actually. 
we have three more books to read in our Brandon Sanderson series this year, which is a little bit deceptive because we're doing one episode today on Warbreaker and then we'll move on to the Stormlight Archives. And I think we're doing what, six, Ryan? Yeah, I think we're going to break them into, we're going to break Way of Kings into two or three and then uh, Words of Radiance into two or three. Oh, man. Hallelujah. It's that, uh, yeah, too. so. Holy cow. Maybe we can actually get it, Todd are, in for those. They're big. Those, those are, are heavy, yeah, heavy they're books. they're not teeny books. Um, so, yes, uh, a lot to do on those. It's, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I have now started the Stormlight Archives. I, I started the Way of Kings. Uh, I did it when I was on very, very long airplane flights out to uh, Stockholm. And so I figured, you know, I might as well. And I probably got a third of the way through the book. And then when, by the time I got home, I just thought, you know, I'd rather save myself for these podcasts so i did not continue i will i'll sound like you're making a serious commitment here that's correct <laughs> have you seen those books that's a serious I, commitment I, I i've got them on my kindle i started reading them when i was in europe and had to that's that's part of why i had some difficulty with warbreaker because <laughs> i was i was very proud of myself hey look how far i am in in, in uh, way of kings oh, nice. so for those of you listening who want to kind of be aware of the breakdown of it expect that we'll do the the story is actually broken down into five parts in uh, in that um, and I'm sure we'll get into Brandon's uh, the way he views them but parts one and two is what we'll cover in the first podcast and then three and four and then, and then three and four and then five with an overview of the entire book most likely is what right. we're currently planning uh, anyway and so I know there have been a ton of people very excited for us to do uh, stormlight archives so fear not we are getting there but first, it's Warbreaker. 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 Uh, and if you have not <laughs> yet... Man, the man who breaks the war. Shut oh. up, Ken. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Every time, I'll, all through the book, I was just... I was seeing Goldfinger in my head. And really? I, I couldn't stop. Just... You know, stop talking for now for just a second so that I can tell everybody if you have not yet signed up for it, go to the reading challenge at worldswithoutend.com. The easiest way to get there is to go to the legendariumpodcast.com and click on the giant banner ad right up front. It will take you to Worlds Without End where you can sign up for the reading challenge and be very proud of yourself for reading 13 Brandon Sanderson books in 2016. Is that what we've done? Yeah, well, we will wow. not. I will have read 13, but as a podcast, we did not read the original Mistborn again. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry, I didn't read them all in 2000, but... I read them all again partly just because, uh, well, A, I'm a masochist. Uh, B, I have no... I, I don't sleep at all. Uh, and that then, explains so much. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and C, I wanted to get ready for secret history, which I think we might mention today. I'm not sure, but uh, spoiler alert, we... Well, no, I, I'll say we will spoil the crap out of Warbreaker, of course, but we will mark any other spoilers before we say them. Right? Right? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I think sure. I might bring up secret history, and if I do, I will mark it with a spoiler alert before we get there. Spoiler Probably alert. wise. Yeah. So, uh, shall we? I do not have any sort of recap, so maybe we can just, uh, uh, off the cuff, recap Warbreaker. It's about two princesses. One is prim and proper. The other is, the other is young rebellious. And, rebellious. and there's a god who doesn't believe in himself. And, and another god. That hilarity, really ensues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. Wow, way to sell the sitcom. It, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so a dad who sells this, out one this sister was one of those. Other. This was one of those episodes of three com Three's Company when there's some kind of misunderstanding. It was, yeah, it was great. It was always. Great. Yep. So the premise of this story, you have two kingdoms that have been 
that are broken off from an originally one kingdom and in order that are about to go to war with each other most likely and in order to try and satiate that they have agreed to give one of the daughters of one kingdom to the god king no he didn't use satiate correctly that that was that was really kind of icky <laughs> They're the bigger group. It, I, I'm fine with it. Reconcile? Could we? Could we maybe no, use the rep? No, no. Sticking with satiate. Deal with it. I'm going with consummate. We're going to consummate <laughs> oh. this. Well, they sure tried that in the first half of the book. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is the time to provide the daughter uh, who has been preparing her whole life for this. The king pulls a, the old bait and switch. Uh, the switcheroo. And the switcheroo and gives the other daughter over. And Let me give you the one that hasn't been prepared. That's right. Both of these daughters, both of these princesses go through. Uh, and we get to see from their perspectives interacting with this other kingdom, which is very much against everything they were raised with. And you have a lot of uh, different deals with uh, uh, Siri and her relationship with the god king, uh, who's the younger sister and the one that you, fo- that you follow a little more. And then Vivenna, who was the one who was prepared, goes to try and save her sister. And there's a lot of political stuff going on in here and an incredible magic system based around color. Oh, man. That, that was cool. He just never quits finding weird and great things to base magic on. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like um, we talk every once in a while about Pixar and how Pixar just, every time they need to come up with a concept for a movie, they're like, what if a garbage can had feelings? <laughs> oh, hey, there's a movie for, you know, what mm-hmm. if a fish had feelings? And Brandon Sanderson's like, what if colors had magic? What if metals had magic? Yeah, you know, and just kind of builds a story on that. Anyway, we, I love it. I, I actually have a point that I'll bring up a little bit later about the magic system and how I, I made the mistake of learning too much. And <laughs> oh, no. Um, before we get there, actually, so like I said, I did not write anything for this, but I do have a listener note uh, from Kevin. Uh, so this is what what he enjoyed about Warbreaker, and I think it'll give us a quick overview of some of the names involved, the people involved, and one of the overarching themes of the book. He says, the best thing about reading Warbreaker was the way my expectations were turned on their head. Think about how often you make a snap judgment about somebody within seconds of meeting them. They say in a professional job interview, the interviewer has subconsciously made up his or her mind about you within the first 30 seconds of the meeting, and the rest of the time they're merely searching for evidence to justify their snap decision. In Warbreaker, nearly every single character turns out to be very different from how they were first presented. There were many examples. Denth, Tonkfa, and Trelides are good guys, and Vasher's the bad guy, right? Lightsong is a lazy, oafish, good-for-nothing narcissist, right? Suzebron is an evil god-king dictator who cares about nothing but gaining and maintaining power, right? Vivenna is the prim and proper perfect princess who can never go beyond her training and get dirt under her fingernails. Ciri is the rebellious and colorful middle child without a care in the world. She can't be trusted to take on serious responsibility, and Nightblood is just a creepy talking sword. <laughs> so, whenever, uh, so whether the character is forced to change from external pressures or or my initial impression is shown to be wrong, nearly every person in the story surprised me in some way. It made for an extremely enjoyable re- So, Kevin, that yes, was well, well done. done. Well written. Thank well you. written. Other than the and fact that Siri was the youngest sister, not the middle, but that's okay. Yeah, whatever. But that's quibbling. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant, uh, it's Bra- Brandon Sanderson, I really appreciate that he pulled that out, and it's a very apparent piece. Mm-hmm. He has actually come out and said that his main theme of this story is role reversal, because pretty yeah. much that's what this story 
does is it immediately takes all these this situation and flips everybody's role and says this is what you're doing now and when that happens you can't expect the same thing as you would from you know saying like Vivenna who had been trained her entire life to be the bride of the god king to provide an heir and stuff like that uh Siri doesn't know what to do when she's put in that situation at all it's right. and it gives you a more intriguing story to follow which Total side note here, listening to this story on audiobook with Apple products is a pain in the butt if you have Siri turned on. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered about that a couple of times. At least three occasions, my Apple Watch said, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that while I was listening to this book. (laughs) Thank you, Siri. Let's hope we never have one of those with Cortana in them as well, for those of us running those systems. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So here's my experience with reading it this time. So the book was published in 2009 and that's when I read it. I was already a huge Sanderson fan. So I read Warbreaker immediately, really enjoyed it, but forgot most of it. Uh, And so when I came back to it this time, I was like, yeah, I remember some of the broad strokes and some of the character names, but I don't remember anything that happens really. And so I was coming into it fairly fresh and I was reading it on my Kindle and on the Kindle edition, you have Brandon Sanderson's notes. Yeah, the annotations there, for each which of the was, chapters. It was great. It, now, unfortunately, it was really slowing me down because uh, after every chapter, I read his notes. But then he did something just, just awful, which was is somewhere in like the fifth or sixth chapter or something like that. Vivenna meets Denth and the mercenaries. And then in the annotations, spoiler alert, everybody, in the annotations, yeah. there's a little the section headings where he talks about what happened in that bit that he's about to talk about. And the heading was uh, Denth's betrayal, future betrayal of Vivenna or something like that. And then the next line is spoiler alert. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was so mad. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for that one. Uh, Notate yeah. better. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I, I had completely forgotten that he was going to betray Vivenna, and that's anyway. I honestly didn't see it coming. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask how many people here did I, not see that. Although coming. I, I should have, because everything he says leading up to that point indicates that he's not, you know, as good as he lets himself i mean he, he he basically says it i mean he's he's being gregarious and he's being funny and he's being he's being well, light you, and likable but everything he says is i'm really not as good a guy as you think i am you have a great juxtaposition between him and light song both of whom yeah. say i'm not a good person i don't make good choices i'm a bad influence on you please don't pay attention to me both of them say this mm-hmm. and then one of them turns out to be right uh, you know it's uh, that was fun I, I I got the feeling when I was reading it that that um, Denth and Tongfa were not to be trusted, um, but I didn't perceive the depth of what that betrayal was all about. Um, so for me, it was it was not so much a surprise that there was a betrayal as much as there was a surprise at how deep the betrayal was and what lengths these two were really going to go mm-hmm. to. Right. Um, when she when she stumbles down into the basement and finds uh, was Prolin, am I saying his name right? Parlin. Parlin. Uh, finds Parlin tortured. And the parrot and the monkey. Okay, oh, that, that was, was creepy. <laughs> that was just a little awkward. So what, you might as well tell us what happened just to remind us. So... Uh, at the, at the beginning of the book, we find that, uh, or at the beginning of the story, when Vivenna runs into Denth and Tonkfa, uh, Tonkfa has a parrot on top of his cudgel. I love that word, cudgel. Cudgel. Um, and then a little while later, the, the parrot is gone, and she says, well, what happened? He says, ah, parrots fly away. They're kind of boring anyway. And then he comes out with a monkey. 
She's like, well, you got a monkey. He says, hasn't haven't you ever wanted a monkey? I mean, I I, I heard. I heard that. I, I don't know if the rest of you heard say, that. Yeah. yeah. A little BNL. Uh, and then the monkey disappears. And they're like, well, what happened with that? Uh, monkeys aren't to be trusted. Well, then when she stumbles into the safe house after escaping from her kidnapper, uh, which was kind of bizarre, I kind of, anyway. That I'll, whole thing. I'll come back to that one. Um, or maybe we will. Anyway, when she stumbles down to the safe house and she sees uh, Parlin tortured to death, she realizes that the animals that she thought were freshly killed meat that were going to be served, oh no, that's the parrot and the monkey that have also been similarly tortured. And it's like, okay. Yeah, it's, it's creepy. creepy. And then there's, she sees there's a lizard I actually have up here. And it, it there's a fantastic sequence there and when Denth kind of catches her in that space. And he turns and he says to her, do you know what I hate most about being a mercenary princess? Fulfilling the stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone assumes that they can't trust you. And the thing is, they really, they really can. can't. We do what we're paid to do. Mm. Uh, do we want to talk about any other favorite scenes or do we want to talk about some other like bullet point stuff? Because I've got a few of those. I really liked that entire that entire sequence where Vasher, spoiler alert. Do I have to do that with every single one? No. Okay. No, not with this one. Thank you. Well, not anything in the book. Vasher sneaks in, kidnaps her. You think Vasher's the bad guy. Then she escapes, comes back, find out that Denth and Tungfar are the bad guys. And it's this whole thing where they say, well, you shouldn't have left. Oh, you were kidnapped. Crap, I've said too much. And now all of a sudden this thing is spinning out of control and everything that you've thought to this point is now on its end. And things are really going downhill. So let's use that moment to talk about the pacing in this book. It's something we talked about a lot with Elantris mm-hmm. and that and Brandon himself said he was trying to kind of fix some of the pacing issues that he felt Elantris had and do it better with this book. Um, and I'm not sure that for my personal taste, he succeeded. I agree. I agree up until that point. But I know, Ryan, yeah. you loved this book, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it, this is one of my one certainly of my worked for you. Yeah, I, I didn't have the same pacing issues I had with the Lantris, And that's simply because um, I think that we had a little more action, a little more activity happening earlier in the story. Oh, that's so interesting because I was just reflecting about how it, now action and activity are different things. Yes. But I, I was just thinking about how there's no action in this book until the bitter end. You're, you're right. seven eighths of the way through the book before something finally happened. I shouldn't say no action. There's a, there's, know, there's, there's skirmish little, but there's not bits and pieces, but you don't have the Mistborn fights all through. Right. You right. know, like you do in, in those books. There's no major battle sequence but it's more than there's frequently more than just talking heads um, in a political setup uh, you have a little bit more uh, a little bit more interaction with the trying to un- the what uh, Vivenna is doing once she is trying to incite rebellion um, you have little moments that um, like uh, when the when the city uh, guard comes yeah the city guard you have the, the city guard coming through those those moments yeah you have those a little more earlier on in the story Whereas in Elantris, you really don't have anything like that. Right. Uh, but that yeah. being said, plenty of things happen. Yeah. There, there are actions taking place where there was nothing but talking in Elantris. I, I quite enjoyed that talk mm-hmm. in, in that book. But anyway, so it, it really does just play to personal tastes. And I felt like it 
in Elantris, it took 50%. It took me half the book before I was hooked to the point where I needed to keep reading. And in this book, it took about 75%. Where yeah. I was enjoying myself, I uh, he writes very well, and I was enjoying the characters and everything, but it did not become a page-turner until the very end. That's interesting. It, it always takes me about, I would say on average, about 50 pages. And yeah. in almost every Brandon Sanderson book, it takes me about 50 pages, it feels like. I, I should say in every series. That's me, well, and that's it took every... me about 100 pages in, in Mistborn, and then by the time I was through Mistborn, I was hooked on every single other book in the series. The yeah. Lantris, it took me time. Warbreaker, it took me time. It, it's just... That's fantasy books in general, yeah. I think. But once, but once I'm in, I am in, and I, he, I was in on this yeah. by about then as well. Right. I, I struggled with um, I struggled with the pacing, and I think part of the reason that I struggled with the pacing is because I I, w- I wanted to go so much faster, but I didn't want to miss things. And I, as, as I had indicated earlier, I had started uh, Way of Kings and was and was working very diligently through that, and then realized I was out of sequence on what we were going to be working with, and so I was feeling very much a time pressure. But I was also feeling um, uh, as as I read, I want I found myself wanting to make sure I caught things that were going on, and so for me. Pay Pacing was hard. It didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it moved real well, real quickly. Um, I got to about 200 pages, and I was like, "Okay, I, I'm I'm now enough into the flow of this. I'm I'm feeling comfortable." But even then, it didn't become a page turner for me until until the betrayal. And at betrayal, then it starts to become a page turner for me. Yeah. I wonder if um, just speculation here. Uh, the difference between Elantris and Warbreaker here in terms of pacing or in terms of the action that's going on here, I think that in Warbreaker, there's less mystery as to what's going to occur. Whereas in Elantris, they do a really, he does a really good job of keeping like... Keeping uh, the reader in the dark. The reader in the dark about what exactly is going to happen. How is the door going to get fixed? All these things. And so in Warbreaker... Oh. <laughs> Funny story. I just heard door with two O's, just like you were talking about before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But whereas in Warbreaker, we know like it's from the very beginning, we're set. We know what the stakes are. These two countries are going to go to war. Yeah, we know what's point. there. And so there's a little less intrigue on that aspect of it. And so if you if you really like that part of it, yeah, this one may not grab you as soon. I think that might be that's the case. a good point. So it's it's less uh, the, the stakes are more apparent, mm-hmm. even if uh, even if a lot of the details are still left mysterious. Right. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, so a, a few bullet points with this. We talked already about how um, I, I mentioned, yeah, all fantasy books. It takes you a while to get into with the world building and whatnot. There was a, a fun little quote from Brandon's notes in this uh, toward the beginning. He talks about names and spellings. And he, first of all, I think he did a pretty good job with the names as far as he, he said. I, I wanted to make them just a little less crazy than they were in Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, which I thought he did a great job mm-hmm. with. Um, quick poll. How do you guys pronounce the name of the God King? How does the audiobook do it? Susebron. Susebron? Okay, so I was a little off on that. I was Susebron. Nice. I was Susebron. So, okay, yeah, yeah so I was, kind of, I was more along the lines of Ken. Um, anyway, but then the name, he talks about the name of the city, Tetelier. Is that... That's how... Am I right? To tell you. To tell you. Okay. I got that one right. And then in yeah. the notes, he says something along the lines of, you know, I, I ran... I, I knew what I wanted the name to sound like, and I had a few different spellings of it, including this one, and it was like his alpha readers or maybe his editor was like, ah, I'm so sick of seeing apostrophes in fantasy names. <laughs> and he said, so I thought about it, and I figured, you know what? Screw you. It's a fantasy <laughs> book. 
that's what we're doing. It's my fantasy book. Well, it's, yeah. And that's just, you know, that's kind of a, it's a fantasy trope to have apostrophes in the names. And mm-hmm. uh, and he just said, you know what? I, I do so many things differently than other fantasy books. I think it's okay for me to, to play along with that one. Well, uh, it's yeah, not like, I like it. It's not like he went overboard with him. I, to tell her that's that's the only one, really. I mean, that and the, the Denier. Is that how you, I don't know, how do you pronounce yeah, the? The Denier, the statues. Yeah, the oh, statues. yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so other yeah, than I thought that, that was I mean, good. it's not like it was pervasive. But I, I have to say, I do think that he succeeded with the names. I've complained numerous times about his naming abilities, but this time I thought he did much better uh, as far as not only making it cohesive internally, but also making it so that anybody can really pronounce it. Vivenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Siri is pretty easy now. Yeah. Susebron, that one was a little tougher well, to know rest- exactly what's going on. But Vasher and Denth, and, you know, those are easy. And so. Blue Fingers. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, I'll call them nicknames fingers. or proper titles for some of the like the gods have you have Light Weaver or Light Song Blush Weaver mm-hmm. stuff like that. Those pretty simple and straightforward. Right. Um, I love if you want to talk about names. My favorite name in this entire thing, Scoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mine too. Yeah. Mine too. Light Song has his, his chief, head priest, his, his head priest, chief high priest, and yeah. he calls him Scoot, that which has, so that is, funny. I loved that story too, the, the, those two. The Light two. Song story? The Light, light well, Song yeah. and Larmer, yeah. Like, not just Light Song's story as a whole, but his, in, his relationship with, um. With his head with priest, his head with Larmer. With Lar- yeah, thank you, Larmar. Um, sorry, I'm going off the audio. That's the fine. Audio that's fine. I'm rolling my eyes. That's I'm how, sure everybody heard that's that. That's how I pronounced it in my head, Todd. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I, that's, I think I I loved the aspect of the gods weren't allowed to know their history, oh. their past. It, it made for a really creepy vibe from the entire court, not just, you know, not just one or two of the gods, but the entire system that they had set up where mm-hmm. the priests are ultimately keeping the power over the gods because of information that they're not giving them. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh man. It was, it creeped me out through the whole thing. There's Loved a really, one, one of the, one of the themes that ran through this that I, that I really liked was, was the power of information um, and the power that information has along with the power of expectation. Um, and maybe it's just because I've been, I've been, watching some of this kind of stuff in my own life and in some of the lives of the of and some of the things that are going on in my other areas the more information that we have um it changes the way that we see things it changes what we see what we look for what we focus on and it ultimately changes our expectations about how we behave and how we interact and and that was a really interesting theme that ran through this entire thing people that have more information in certain situations are better prepared. People with less information, not any not any better or worse prepared, but it changes as you give them little pieces of information. And I think this was a, whether it was intentionally designed as a major theme that he wanted to discuss, or it was just a plot device that he used to tremendous effect. I, I that that would be a kind of a question that I would ask uh, because it felt very much like it was thematic in the in the piece, less than just a plot. Device. Yeah, maybe we should start a uh, petition to have Brandon Sanderson appear on the Legendarium podcast, so he we can just he would look at us and say, "You guys are so off base. <laughs> <laughs> you just have no idea about my stuff, do you?" And we'd go, "No, sir, we don't. Please don't beat us." Ryan, do you have any bullet points you want to bring up? I have a couple actually. The okay. first one is I'm glad we're talking about Light Song um, and the God a little bit because he asks a question in a very critical moment in the story after Blushweaver has been killed. Um, he is talking with Larimar and he says, what good is godhood? Um, what good is it? We aren't gods. Gods don't die like that. A little cut, not even as wide as my palm. The, the gods in this story, like the way that they're worshipped and everything and, and who they are, 
it's not any sort of godhood that you're used to seeing. No. That's no. only considered godhood because of their longevity and their the and amount the, of the chroma. divine breath. The yeah. divine breath yeah. that they have. Um, and so the, his question there, it's not necessarily, I'm not asking, you know, so what good is godhood, you know, in a general sense. I'm asking uh, along a similar sense, what do we look to to be uh, a source of hope, a source of things like that, that could disappear? Like the way, you know, these aren't real gods in the sense of immor- of creation and immortality. They're just very, very powerful people. Right. So this is something that's explored in a few different fantasy stories. Um but what do we have, like what do we tend to look at as and revere almost to a religious sense that is not actually a god? You mean besides Brandon Sanderson? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just something to think about. You, don't, yeah. you probably don't it's, have that off yeah, top no, of it's, it's kind of... And that's a beautiful level three kind of a question. I think it's I think it's the type of thing that fantasy does really well. And it's the kind of lesson that a lot of people get if you go to a lot of Sunday school classes. You know, it, it almost doesn't matter what your religion is. But if you, you know, a lot yeah. of religions will teach this. Don't put your faith in the things of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so this can be one of those. Uh, I hesitate to call it a replacement teaching. Maybe it's a supplementary teaching of some kind where it's. It it gets you to examine what's actually important to you. We talked in the in the Akala Beth uh, uh, podcast episode about Silmarillion. We talked about um, getting down to your your basic virtues. What did we call them? I don't know your core beliefs. Your core beliefs. You know what what is it that actually drives you? Because it it shouldn't be something shallow. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something deeper than that. You know, even if it's not god or religion or something like that you need to have some sort of basic beliefs that you adhere to and find you know and that's and uh, again this is this is an an interesting way to that fantasy allows us to explore that if you were to explore that um if if you were to to walk into a group of friends and say you know i want to talk about what the issue of uh, about the issue of god and what it means what it means to have faith or to have god in your life or not in your life if if you do that within a uh, a community of faith, you are immediately pegged as a heretic or as a problem causer, perhaps even to the extent where people will um, ask you to stop or ask you to be removed. But if you do it in a fantasy environment, you can take the same lessons, you can examine the same kinds of ideas, and you can do it with very non-threatening kinds of characters and very non-threatening kinds of deific uh, representations, and explore those pieces and then do it in a way that allows you to strengthen or change your direction without necessarily doing it overtly. Um, And that's one of the things that I really have always loved about fantasy is that for me, it gives me that place to explore, to look at, to wonder. And then when I come back to reality, I've got a better view. I love that. I love that. Um, The other thing that that this book did specifically uh, as far as, you know, things that you're used to hearing about in different contexts, usually religious ones, is the uh, the issue of pride versus humility was a big theme in this yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. a, hang on, let me find this quote real quick. Um, when Vivenna is, she's the one that I think deals with it the most right. when she's trying to stay pious, but also do the work <laughs> that she's trying to do. Being rather unlikable. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. Where was it? Um, it seemed that to believe in any faith 
was to become arrogant was a great line from the book Mm -hmm. and and so at what point and i think most people most religious people especially would say no i don't want to i want to stay humble i don't want to put myself up above other people uh that would be a sin but by adhering to that by adhering to some faith by adhering to some principle are you by definition setting yourself above other people at least in your own uh, you know and so where is that line what is pride and what is humility and at what at what point does the pursuit of humility become a prideful one uh, it's I, I have this life rule which is believe what you want but don't be a dick about it <laughs> how do you avoid being a dick about it i think you've said that to me before <laughs> Are anyway, you saying that to me? Never mind. Nah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a common argument of the non-religious is just by believing or believing that you're right, you're you're uh, elevating yourself above me. And I think that that the way you phrase that is the difference here is believing that you are right versus believing in something and adhering to it. Um, when you when you hold the in your mind the authority to be the source of right or truth yeah. or anything right. something there you are saying that i have something you don't and therefore whether you feel it or not that i'm a step above it and you know what if you really feel that strongly that's probably where you need to be um you don't have to treat people that way but you can believe that you have mm-hmm. have that yeah. um i that's that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves uh, when speaking about religion with people in general is when you get into the absolutism of saying the way that I view this and the way that I believe it is how it is. And anyone who doesn't, anyone who varies at all from that is lesser. That bothers to to a great degree. It's yeah. uh, not just religion, but politics too. And yeah. funny enough, both of those are the big themes of this book. You know, it's uh, well, political and, and religious intrigue, thriller. and their and their inter their interwoven nature in this particular book. Um, I, again, this is one of those places where I felt very, it, that this was very timely um, for many of the things which are going on in our in our current uh, geopolitical situation. Can I give you a quote? Sure, please. A man like him can be evil to the core, but if his he, if he is character charismatic and amusing, people will listen to him. They'll even like him. Like <gasps> he's talking about now. See, and I had um, I think that uh, uh, oh, sorry, um, my eyes are bad. Princess murderers don't, uh, murderers don't believe that they are to blame for what they do. Thieves think they don't deserve the money. Thieves they deserve the money they take. Dictators believe they have the right for the safety of their people and the good of the nation to do whatever. They, I mean, these are some really while while they've while they've been dealt with, they've been explored. I've heard them before. I've 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 examined them before. To have them at this point in time woven the way that they are in, in the conversations was I felt was was really enlightening. And as I was reading it, I was saying to myself, "Ooh, I'm not sure I'm comfortable." <laughs> and I think that's another mark of one of the things that fantasy literature can do for us. It can it can ask us to examine questions about what's going on right now and let us if we choose to come away from it and saying, what's different? What, what, what can I take from this and help me see the world differently? And it's, yeah. this is also one of, the, one of the great reasons to come back and reread things you've already read because your times are different, things change. And this would not, the, those things you're pulling out may not have been so timely a couple of years ago in terms of what would have jumped off the page at you so much. Well, um, it depends on who's reading it. Yeah, right. but that's, I think that that's why it's worthwhile to not only just read fantasy literature, but to go back and reread uh, pieces that have a, a good effect on, yeah. on you. One of the other things, can I can I just throw something out that was a major piece for me? I I felt like, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm off on this, but it felt very Prob- much probably. Like, 
but go ahead. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Um, I know you meant that in the kindest possible way. No, that's not true. Okay. So this felt this book felt very much like it was a study piece for Brandon Sanderson. Um, it was it was um, it was as much an uh, an opportunity for him to work with the craft uh, and the pieces of the writing style that he wanted to work with as much as it was about uh, building a world or or building a story. And and part of that I took from that was um, how carefully he planted seeds. Um, and maybe I'm just getting better at reading his style. Um, but as I read the book in the first half of the book, I picked up on a lot of uh, on a lot of pieces. And as the as the coins were flipped, I said, "Yep, saw that one coming. Yep, saw that one coming. Yep, saw that one coming." There were one or two that I was kind of like, "That was." Um, but the the his writing style seemed to be all about practicing those things. The one that I loved the most is that it felt like he was practicing, uh, or it maybe was studying even more the humor aspect of in between his characters, especially with the exchanges between Light Song and Scoot. Um, and yeah. the, I, I, well, and he talked about that. He he did talk about wanting to practice writing a character who could be witty and funny without being a jerk. And that was his approach to Light Song. And, so and I think you're right. It feels very much a study. But I saw in that and in some of the exchanges between Denth and Tonk Fa, yep, that's... Um, some glimpses of what we saw in Wax, um, the the humor interplay between the two of them, the the self-deprecating nature of some of those kinds of things. It was very fun for me to read that and feel like I was watching him take what he had done well with those and expand upon it, play with it more and have more. I really enjoyed it. Really, there's in this, series, in this story, there's quite a few pairings and most of the pairings have a really good uh, comedic timing to them. My personal yeah. favorite, Vasher and Nightblood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's that's a very dis, uh, I disturbing. I haven't killed anybody pairing. in a long time. <laughs> that sword. Oh my gosh. Oh my 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 friends. Uh, okay, I, I have a point I got to bring up right now since it's just it's hit here and you won't understand why yet um, necessarily. There is a value to reading this book early in your Brandon Sanderson adventure. Okay. Um, something that I have discovered yes. is that the more you read of his and the more you get into his Cosmere stuff the more that you start to watch the stories through the lens of what does this mean in the cosmic. Right. And that can at times detract from the story that you're reading because you're you're not allowing yourself to be immersed in the micro of the story. That's my greatest fear with future Cosmere books is that I won't be able to enjoy them as purely as some of these early ones. Yeah. yeah. And f- uh, for me, knowing this was an earlier one and that uh, it when it was first written, there wasn't a lot of Cosmere material out there. Um, but knowing what I know now, it's there was a lot of times I'm sitting here going, "How does this affect the cosmic? Um, what is this going to look like? What you know in in other portions?" And um, for those of you who have read more, uh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler here alert! We go. Spoiler alert! Um, Nightblood is a part of the Cosmere. That's kind of a, a big deal. We don't know much, but we do know that he is part of the Cosmere. Um, and that actually led me down a long journey uh, into the 17th Shard, oh, Wiki, where <laughs> I really spent time trying to figure out investiture. Because, oh. Oh, oh, yeah, because yeah. he, bring, he brings that up again. Invest- because we, how Nightblood was created was infusing a lot of chroma into an inanimate object, trying to figure out if they could animate an inanimate object, because most things had to have some semblance of living organism. And this is why I say, you know, having that larger picture can sometimes detract, because I've I have learned that 
every magic system, we, we know that every magic system is based on the concept of investiture. It is, it supersedes everything else in, in these. So we were like, oh, this is a really original magic system. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, <It's>, no, <laughs> not kind of. Not kind of. <laughs> Not it, kind of. It is. It, it is a unique magic system, and it has to be, but it all comes out of a singular energy source um, in investiture. It just showcases in different ways, whether it be phys- uh, in the physical realm, they manifest as solids, liquids, and gases. And in this case, chroma is a gas. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a physical manifestation that's affected by a shard. Oh, man. Like, this is, this is, make, you're making my head hurt, honestly. That's what I'm saying. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is what ends up happening when you get yourself too involved on the, on yeah. the, in the wider aspect. Um, I, I got to say, I am very much looking forward to finishing Words of Radiance eventually and then finally visiting the 17th Shard in a big way. I mean, I've bounced in and out of the website a little bit, you know, visiting the front page and stuff, mm-hmm. but I have not dared to dive I, in. I haven't, I haven't because even looked I, because I, I know I'll just, get sucked I'm in. I'm terrified. Yeah. Well, it's not the getting sucked in. I'm terrified that I'll have things spoiled. And, it's and a that rabbit hole. That I'll understand things that I shouldn't yet understand. I'm, I'm not interested in deep diving until... and, and, and Which... Yeah, getting it spoiled for me. I have to admit, I I don't know if it's just because I I missed it on my first read through or whatever. But did you guys catch who Claude was? Uh, no. What I I may, maybe who Claude I, was? Yes. So As a, those Claude is the lifeless that's with Denton Tongfa. Right. Right. Oh wait, was he? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Was he Arsteel? Arsteel. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 They reanimated Arsteel, who Vasher had had beat in a sword fight, and right. a big. Part of the the battle between Denton and Vasher is just there's no way you could have beat him. He's the best swordsman that, that has existed in a long time. Right. And I missed it the first time. I didn't catch it till I was going and then back. When to he her. when he's in the fight in the alley, you're like, oh, this dude's got some skills. Yeah, but it, I actually it wasn't until I was reading up about how lifeless uh, drives were were created or lifeless were created um, with using investor that I went, oh yeah. That's yeah. right. That is our steel. Yeah. Right on. Uh, no, I did not catch that. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about it? Uh, that's. There are five people, and we're down to two. There are five original people who were the five scholars. The five scholars, and we're down to two. And we're down to two, and we don't. I, I mean, obviously, this is set up for a, a sequel because he's got to go find Yes Steel. It is, but it isn't. Uh, just in the sense that Brandon Sanderson said originally when he wrote this that a sequel would not be, or another book would not be a sequel to this story. No, yeah, I it would just be a second so. story I, in the. I, I would expect it to. I actually. I think, think it'll show be, up later in in another place in the Cosmere, uh, wouldn't it? No. What has been what has been described thus far? Um, I, I'll say spoiler alert. It's not really a spoiler, but what has been said thus far in interviews with Brandon is that the next book that would be based out of this is called Nightblood. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, and I it, that. it would be it would be explaining how Nightblood and I would guess the journey that Vivenna and Vasher, uh, Warbreaker, go on. That is how Nightblood gets to where he is in other places in the Cosmere because mm. he's in one other place mm. in the Cosmere that we know of. Um, I'm guessing Words of Radiance because everything I've heard just says that book explodes with Cosmere crap. Pretty much. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, it's a it's it's brief, but um, it it would probably explain that it would and it would still predate that story would still predate the uh, the Stormlight Archive, which is another fun thing. If you really want to have a get lost in the rabbit hole, try and figure out the chronology uh, of even, all oh, of these worlds. I don't want to. I don't want to. The only the only part of the. Uh, <laughs> The only part of the the Cosmere that this had me thinking in the back of my mind throughout the whole reading was where the heck is Hoyd? And then he shows up. Yep. Story, it had me as wondering, a storyteller. Had me wondering when Ken was going to talk into his microphone. 
<laughs> Ken, Shut your mouth. <laughs> on on a on a level of punching, how do you rate this book? Um, which part? I mean, <laughs> it's 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 probably oh. around around a four at the beginning, and then it gets you know pretty punchy. I yeah. actually want to get your guys' opinion in on the this. last third. Because for having such a major buildup, the lifeless army takes off to go oh start the war. Oh my gosh! And I then won. you don't get it. And then you don't get any sort of <laughs> you get finish. Oh They're just like, yeah, we're gonna send these. Send I'm the actually I'm okay with that. I I'm okay o- is the right word. Is what I is how yeah, I feel. Yeah, I'm okay with it. However, you know, if you don't want to have the big battle scene, that's totally cool with me. The ending itself, though, the there's there's the last chapter, and then there's an epilogue. The ending of the last chapter felt weird as an ending. So I, it, it literally I the this the penultimate paragraph was, "Okay, we're gonna send these guys off to go stop the army. Good thing we." are going to get there in time end of book you know and, and that was it and yeah. then the epilogue kind of felt more like uh you know more of a denouement uh, yeah. kind of a wrap-up the, that felt like the last chapter I, I feel like the epilogue should be more like your marvel post credit scene setting up something else and it did but at the same time it you know felt like I, yeah i just i was very it's... dissatisfied by the way the ending took place or by the way that he wrote the ending, even if I was fine with the events. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I said, I, yeah, my, my best, I felt okay with it, but it did. It did feel rushed. It felt kind of weird. And it's my biggest critique of the book is just it, the end. That which is which is totally yeah, the opposite uh, from Elantris for me, where it's like, no, nah, I can understand that the beginning is pretty rough for somebody who's just coming in, not a huge fantasy fan. It you know, takes a long time to ramp up. But my word, that ending, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this case, it's the opposite. So. Brandon Sanderson has a tendency to make re- uh, my experience is always that his the endings are just leave me breathless. Yeah. And yeah, when I when I look at this one, I was kind of like, I wanted to see the big fight because I was I mean, I'm remembering the end of all the Mistborn when I'm when I'm reading 15 pages of, you know, a 30 second ex- uh, a 30 second moment in the in the fight and everything that's going oh, yeah. on and how I'm trying to keep myself. And I don't really get that. If if you really want to watch the progression of Brandon Sanderson as a writer writing fight sequences, I just want you to realize that the 14th book in the uh, Robert Jordan series, The Wheel of Time, is all one battle. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. It, he writes an entire book that is just a battle. There's hmm. not, not leading into it. It's just the battle. Hmm. Now I'm intrigued. So, I am too. Right. I was He's, not planning to read the entirety of the series, but now you've got me... Now you've got me intrigued, sir. Yeah. Um, speaking about the ending and the epilogue, uh, <laughs> getting back to spoiler alerts, I have a few other things that I want to say about this book, but am I wrong that these are our two travelers in Mistborn Secret History? I felt like possibly uh. Vasher and Vivenna were the two travelers that uh, Kelsier meets uh, in the spiritual realm or whatever it's called. Is that right? Spiritual realm? Uh, y- yes. So yeah, he meets two people uh, by a campfire. Yeah. And yes. they, sh- one of them hands him like a dagger or something like that. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. But uh, was that was I, that possibly Vasher and Vivenna? I right now I'll say possibly. I would need to go back and reread it to see because there are some other characters in novellas that it could be as well. Oh, okay. Or yeah. he can always also play the, the you haven't met these people before. Right. Uh, but I could see it being Traveler. I could see it being Vasher and Vivenna. Um, again, because they have to be able to get from one from uh, one realm, one to, realm to the other, one planet, and all these planets have names. Just so you know. Yeah, I can't remember this one. Do you? Re- uh, it's in his notes, but I didn't I, write it. Down. I don't remember I don't this remember. one. I, the only one I can remember Roshar and Skadriel off the top of my head, but this right. one I can't remember. 
yeah, just uh, I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. As I, I was reading that epilogue, and I the will two say, of them teamed up, and they were kind of having their they they had a little dialogue together. I thought, oh, you know what, that reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we'll see. I will say it didn't remind me of that, but it makes sense, and I won't say it's not. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have other bullet points you want to bring up? How about how about sex in Sanderson? <laughs> I'm this, glad you brought this. This up. was holy cow! This was the sexiest book. Get out! I'm just saying. You weirdo! Don't stand up. Just <laughs> um, just get out. <laughs> uh, so it, it was. I mean, there was definitely more uh, sex, more innuendo, more nudity, mm-hmm. more of all that stuff. Um, how did you guys think he handled it? Very tastefully, very well done. Um, one definitely thing, better than a, a, another artist uh, or author would have, I'm sure. The there's an interview with him uh, where he actually talks about, and I think it's in the notes as well, the annotation that he talks about how he was getting to be more comfortable writing from the female perspective. Right. And one of the difficulties of when you're writing as a male in the female perspective is when you're dealing with love and sex, trying to understand and write accurately emotions and thought processes and things like that. And I have to say, and I, the only reason I really do say this is because my wife read this and we had this conversation. That must have been fun. <laughs> it was, actually. Um, she said that he really nailed these char- the, these female characters. And Sorry, that was terrible phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys laughed at me, but I was already there. <laughs> he did a very good job accurately depicting what the mindset of these well, women could be. I'm glad he was mature about it because we're all 12. <laughs> Um, and I actually, one of the reasons why I appreciate this is I actually enjoy a good romance, uh, not a romance novel very often. Um, there's a difference. Yes. There's a difference. I, I, I love a good love story. I don't love a love kitschy, I, I don't love a kitschy, uh, overplayed, overdramatic. What's his name? Sparks. Nicholas Sparks. Nicholas Sparks. Okay. Thank you. Um, it's, it's Nicola. Nicola. Whatever. Yeah. But but I but I do appreciate and I and I appreciate the the development of the affection before the development of the act. So in this we as we see as we see characters having interaction before there's the the expected activities. I I like that. You can say it's sex, okay, Todd. Yeah. yeah. It will get us a parental advisor. My children <laughs> might be listening. I, they don't think I know about this yet. Um, but yeah, is I I I've. I've, I appreciate, um, especially because the, in our current society, there is so much of the alternate. It's, it's so much more about, well, let's get the activity and then we'll find out if we love each other um, rather than doing it the other way around. And I, I'm calling me old fashioned, but I love. I do call you old story. fashioned because you call sex the activity. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story. But the, the relationship, especially between um, Susebron and uh, Siri, is how I generally feel like love happens more frequently. Yes. It's yeah. conversation. And what were your dates like? Good. They heavens. were full of conversation. What were your dates like? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking more of kneeling naked on the floor. That sounds like Craig's but dates. I don't okay. ever want to <laughs> that's, that's, that's your wife that image this? again ever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is is that you take that first part of their relationship when they finally break the awkward 
silence of her doing what she was told and the god king just kind of going what are you doing i don't understand what's <laughs> happening here you know it, it did when you finally get what from his perspective what's been happening it's so humorous it yeah is. it's so it funny and the like when she discovers that there are people listening in to find out if yeah, she's doing her was, wifely uh, duties. I died laughing reading that too. segment when she's like, "Okay, you know." So she she does her moaning act. Yeah, that was fun. So she does her her Meg Ryan. I had I I actually read that while I was on premises at work. I wasn't working, but I was at work, and I started to laugh. And people are like, "What are you reading? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Never mind. Never both, mind." Both I and my wife read that section at church. <laughs> <laughs> It was quite humorous <laughs> out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the, the the reason why the that relationship is so valuable to me is just because I like I said love develops in a very interesting way through the conversations, to the honest development and realization inside your mind. I care about this person. I care about what's happening going from captor to captive, captor and captive even though Susebron never really views it that way. Siri does. Right into genuinely caring about each other, trying to improve each other, and coming to the realization that this person, if something happened to this person or if something's there, you would be sad. You would have a problem with this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's generally the realization like, okay. How often do you suppose women look at relationships with men that way where it's like, oh, he's here to, to take advantage of me because of you know certain things that do happen and men that are animals that way. But how often do, do women just generally come into a relationship this way? Like, oh gosh, if I give it up, the what did you call it? The action. The, <laughs> the, act- the, activity. the activity. If I do the activity with him, <laughs> you know, then uh, it's then it's a captor-captive relationship. And the man is looking at it utterly terrified. What's happening? What do I do? What's going on? Oh my gosh. You know, and, and anyway. It's that doesn't happen. No man ever image. thinks that. It's I've been married for 25 years. I don't remember what I thought. Four white guys in a room talking about female sexuality issues. This is no, I, and I'm not, I, <laughs> no I, I get what you're saying. I am not saying that's the way it is, but it just occurred to me. I wonder if that's some kind of uh, funny little microcosm. I think that this book actually would be a fantastic opportunity for to. I wish we could have some female voices on this one because because it is so much from a female perspective. Yeah. Hey, listeners out there, if you've got some perspectives in your females. We would love, I would love to hear that. Like I yeah. said, this is why I had my... My wife read the story so I could get her perspective on what I thought was a fantastic story and, and well told from a female perspective. Was it accurate enough? Was it good enough? And she really enjoyed the story as well. She liked it a lot. Um, well, I'm glad. And it sounds like we did too, which is good because we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, any final Aww. thoughts? I'll, I'll give you guys 60 seconds for final thoughts. My uh, favorite quote in the entire book, that at least for me, um, when uh, when Siri and Susabron are, are talking about, um, maybe we can let you go back to the mountains. Maybe I can let my people let you go. Wouldn't you go, want to go back to the mountain? And she says, I miss them, but if I left here, I'd miss you too. Sometimes you can't have everything you want since contradicting. Ken? Um, I don't really have much more, but I did like when Light Song... Uh, Speaking in the microphone, Ken. Sorry, let me get it. Uh, light song there was one point where he you know he's playing his his patsy you know i'm useless act and everything everybody likes you and he and he says did no one understand that a man could both be useless or likable and useless useless wow not every quick tongue fool was a hero in disguise sometimes you're just like (laughs) it 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 hit home (laughs) uh ken i don't even like you 
But I do find you occasionally useful. So Occasionally? Yeah, that's yeah, right. I'll take it. Yeah. Ryan, do you have anything you want to <laughs> final thought us on? Yeah, I would say that I think this book is easier and more worth uh, your time to actually put yourself inside character shoes than mm. some of the other ones. Here, here. Yeah, um, I agree. It's a little more accessible, um, and you absolutely would benefit. It's absolutely worth the benefit that you would receive from taking the time to say, "Am I being too much of a too much of a Vivenna here? Um, am I, you know, which which character resonates with you most, and see why you resonate with that character?" I think it is a really good exercise with this. Yeah, Al- along those lines, as far as uh, teaching personal lessons, there was one my favorite lesson. Well, uh, I don't know, one of my favorite lessons from this book. Uh, do you guys remember the Crime Lords? when Vivenna goes into the slum and realizes these are her people and they're super downtrodden and they're these three crime lords that she meets with Uh, and the uh, the book says these men had stature among an oppressed minority and without the oppression they would be powerless and there's this sense that these crime lords in a way are uh, perpetuating the suffering of of all these people and I thought about that and I also thought about the priests in the palace with all the gods and especially with the god king and it made me think about uh, what happens in our world Uh, how would I boil down this lesson I would probably say something like if somebody tells you that you're the most wonderful the most powerful the most uh, wonderful thing in the world or if somebody tells you that you're worthless, you're downtrodden, you're oppressed, and that the world's out to get you, beware either of those things. Because that person is probably trying to use you to gain power for themselves. Um, I, I think a lot... I, I, I apologize for getting too specifically political here, because we do try to avoid that. But that's the Donald Trump phenomenon right now. He is, uh, he is convincing a lot of people... Uh, you know, the white working class that that the system is out to get them. And it's something that we've seen happen, in my view, we've seen happen with the black uh, underclass for a generation or two, especially after Martin Luther King. And there's, you know, a, a lot of great things happen because of that. But then there's still those hangers on the Al Sharptons of the world that keep telling them you're worthless, you're oppressed, everybody hates you. And they do it for one reason, and one reason only. And that's to keep themselves in power so anyway i thought that was a a good illustration of a lesson that hopefully is worthwhile to to us i like it yeah anyway uh now that i've ruined this podcast shall we wrap it up ryan's ryan's just laughing like uh, i can't believe he just we, we said in, that. Uh, no i i agree with 85 percent of what you said actually i agree with 100 percent of what you said with the with with an addendum, but I don't think it's worth spending the time on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's get the caveat, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us on the Legendary today. That of, <laughs> it's not saying that some of the that, that some issues are not real. No, <laughs> that's oh, all, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, and I thank you for saying that because that is definitely not what I meant. I I don't yeah. mean to say that there aren't issues, uh, but. There but, are people who but are, there are people who don't will let take a good crisis go to waste. There will, that there, was what I was going to say. The one, yeah. Never let a good cri- never let a crisis go to waste. Anyway, don't let anybody take advantage of your position in life just to boost themselves. Amen. Be here, so. be here with Todd, us. Todd, I need a ride. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Ryan. I got you covered. All right, guys. We're at an hour, so we'd uh, we better wrap it up. Thanks everybody for listening. Like I said, uh, episode 100 next week. Uh, and if you're listening to this three years from now, then, uh, well, just listen to the next one. It'll be number 100. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Legendarium Pod. 
uh, facebook.com slash the legendary I, I think yes yeah. and of course the legendarium podcast.com join us for the last two books uh, by which I mean the last six podcasts in the Brandon Sanderson series when we take on the wave Kings and words of radiance and last but not least I will take this opportunity to announce our next series after we are done with our Brandon Sanderson series which will wrap I believe in September or October we will be reading the wheel of time we're uh, taking on the the beast the, the beast yeah it's uh <laughs> it is the second most requested series that i've seen you know i ask people every once in a while on our website on reddit on facebook wherever yeah. what should we do next and i get two responses first a song of ice and fire by george martin and second a wheel of time by robert jordan and Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Time wins out for two reasons. It's finished. It's and finished is the biggest one there. <laughs> and uh, two, we we not all of us can speak to the cinematic side of uh, we of uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I'm a Game of Thrones watcher. I've never uh, I haven't read more than half the first book. But uh, anyway, we I'm sure we will get to that one eventually. I like Ryan said. I'd like to wait till it's finished. I tried to get Harry so. Potter in there in between, but it wasn't you know happening. the nice thing about the Harry Potter books is you can read those in like three or four nights, and so we can you know we can maybe fit those in. The eighth book comes out today. Oh, that's true. Is yeah. it an eighth book or is it an? Eighth? It's a it's a script. It's, it's a script. Yeah. Script, yeah. For it's a script for a play. play. All right, all right. We and. We ended this podcast three minutes ago. We'd better go. No one's tuning in anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Except those in Sweden. Thanks, Sweden. We'll see you guys all later. Use it in the prison system. Prison system.